0: The following podcast contains spoilers and language that our mothers would prefer we did not use. Like, mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Howdy, 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 and welcome to We Watched A Thing. It's B-Dizzle and Tove. How you doing, Tove? I'm fine. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. What are you been up to? You, you've been watching anything good? Oh, yeah, I've been watching a bunch of stuff. You're not going to tell me about That's it. What either? I do? Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'll save that for a patron episode or something. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll tell you what. Maybe we should do another Facebook Live. How about let's let's say that right now. Uh, ne- next weekend, we'll do one next weekend. Uh, I think I'm busy. <laughs> You're not busy. You're never busy. <laughs> we are we are recording with Sam of Movie Reviews of Twenty Qs this weekend, though, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Busy. So, all right. Well, maybe we'll have to do the live stream next weekend. We'll work it out. All right. Under promise, over deliver, it, my friend, it, I keep saying. In the meantime, what are we watching this week? Uh, we had a patron request this week for 2019's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Don't you mean 2018? Do I? I think you do. It was okay. la- It was late in the year. I believe it was like December, but I'm pretty sure this is a 2018 release. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but this this is a fun one because we both, I think, saw this at the time. I definitely remember seeing it at the cinemas and I don't remember why we didn't do it on the show, but so it's fun to be able to come back to this. Yeah, I, I was thinking that just yesterday, actually. That it was curious that we didn't do this as an episode because I know we both saw it. Yeah, I'm trying to work out why we didn't actually do this as an episode. We must have- there must have been other big releases or something. Yeah, there must the have been time. some other either big release or big Oscar contender that came out. Because it did come out back end of the year, didn't it, it? It did. Like I said, I believe it was a December release. Maybe November, but I'm pretty sure it was very late in the year, like December. So, it would have been, yeah, lots of other Oscar contenders at the it time. It just like ran into the favourite or something. Yeah, or, or Green Book. <laughs> Aren't we glad we did that instead of this? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a 2018 American computer-animated superhero film featuring the Marvel Comics character Miles Morales' Spider-Man, directed by Bob Perschetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rotham from a screenplay by Phil Lord and Rotham, and it stars Shamik Moore Jake Johnson, Haley Steinfeld, Mahershala Ali, Brian Tyree Henry, Lily Tomlin, Luna Lauren Velez, John Mulaney, Kamiko Glenn, Nicholas Cage, and Leave Schreiber. And what is it about Toph? Still just, still just running into troubles with Mahershala Ali, aren't you? Yeah, I I want to say Mahershala, and then I'm like, no, it's Mahershala. Like I I know how to say it. I know it's Mahershala. It's not like it's it's just my brain going. No, it's not Mahershala, you idiot. <laughs> But it is, uh, right? It's, it it it's a Well, it's a Spider-Man film, so it's an origin story of Spider-Man. Yeah, that's actually one of my favourite things about the film, though, is that running gag about, all right, let's do this one last time, because we all know Spider-Man's origin story, and I love the way that this decides to, to kind of riff on that. Yes, it does have good fun with it, because it's just, like, on face value, a Spider-Man origin story. Like, you hear that, and it's just, like, Right up there with the most stale things you can think to put in a movie yeah. at this point in time. So the fact that it has fun with it um, is a great relief, to be honest. Yes. Um, and even, like, the scene itself when, you know, the there's the big moment of the actual spider bite and it seems like it's going to be <laughs> a really big deal and Miles just, like, whacks it off his hand. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's actually just a great moment. Yes, that, I, I love that scene. And the way that it plays around with the, the constant origin stories of all of the other Spider-Men. <laughs> it's very fun. Uh, not all Spider-Men, Billy. No, no, that's true. We get at least two Spider-Women, which is get good Get mate. Get with it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a point that uh, the, the patron who requested this um, made this point, and I completely agree with it. This is one of those nice times where- and you you don't need to get names to get great voice work. Like, professional voiceover artists are really good at their job. Um, and we spoke about this in Onward where we were like, I don't know why you bothered paying these people mm. because you you should have just got professional voice artists for it, In in my opinion. The voices in the cast across the board in this film Fucking fantastic! Really, really strong cast. Even and as you say, surprisingly, most of the cast are kind of fairly bigish names that you you know you don't think of Mahershala Ali as a voice actor or Jake Johnson, um, but they are so great in the film. Really, I don't think there's a weak link here at all. No, there's even and like down to the role players, like Lily Tomlin is. Just sensational. Yeah. As Aunt May. Yes. Um, Catherine Hahn as Doc Ock, I think is fantastic. Yes. Yep. John Mulaney has one of my favorite voices in Showbiz. And I love the fact that he just uses his voice. <laughs> like, like, they're like, yeah, this guy, he sounds like Spider-Pig. So, let's just let him talk. <laughs> yeah, it is good casting, like with him and Nicolas Cage. Yes. Yep. It's just like, you know who would be great? Yeah, Nicolas Cage as Noir Spider-Man. That for me, this is his. People talk about Mandy. We did an episode on Mandy, and from memory, neither of us really loved it. I think this. I liked it. I, I liked it. But I think this was Nicolas Cage's comeback role. And my, hasn't he gone on with it? <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. Comeback maybe is a strong word. <laughs> have you seen? Have you like scrolled through Netflix and seen that new one of his pop up? No. It looks like actually the worst film ever. <laughs> I am excited for the there. There is the movie coming out, isn't there, where he plays himself? Yeah, that's right. I remember messaging you about that. Yeah, I'm. Pre- I'm pretty. I can now remember that. very little about. I just it, other remember. Than going, it, oh my god. I just remember it having some amazing name. It's like. It's something along the lines of, like, the extraordinary weight of gifted talent or something yes, like that. The, yes, the extraordinary burden of, yeah, something. Be it yes, a boss. Right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty keen on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't think there's a weak link in the voice casting. And I, I would love to see the recording booths, how many – because, as you say, most of these aren't voice artists. I wonder what kind of performance they put in when they're there in the booth. Like, you think about – Mahashallah Ali I think is actually really really strong in this, and there's a lot of characterization going into his voice, yeah I get i i I find watching people in the voice booth just weird, yeah just <laughs> it's just a weird thing <laughs> watching people because like you really like people go for it in the booth yeah otherwise Otherwise, you know, you just sound flat. Well, that, that, and that's what I, I mean. mean. You see us right now. We're <laughs> off tap. <laughs> that's what I mean. I would love to see the kind of, you know, like how much acting a, a, a great actor like that is doing in the booth. Because, yeah, you're right. They do. They get animated and really good voice actors do. And that's that's what I felt like I was missing watching Onward. When I was watching Onward, I felt like I could visualize Chris Pratt and Tom Holland in the booth standing at a microphone a check. just doing nothing at all. And that's what I mean when I say I'd love to kind of see the performance that went into the voice role. Yeah, I find seeing it like almost an invasion of privacy. Yeah. I'm not into it at all. <laughs> that's strange, man. With the exception of Mark Hamill doing the Joker. Oh, no, now there's a great voice. Oh, I tell you the other thing this about just on the cast, another thing this film has is clearly one of the best ever Stan Lee cameos. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like so many of the MCU ones where it is just wedged into the film and for absolutely- no- I mean, it's here for no reason as well. It always is for no reason. But it doesn't just stick out like the dog's proverbials as badly in this film. Yes. And from memory, this was the first one after his death, was it not? Yeah, it was. He died on the 12th of November 2018. So, this would have been right. in, in the weeks after he yep. died. Um, and actually, then the Captain Marvel one was really good as well. Yes, it was. Yeah. But I feel like it would have been easy for them to go back and, and try and adjust this to maybe make it more sentimental. But what I love about it is that I think this cameo does have just the right hint of sentimentality to it. Um, we can't talk about this movie without talking about the animation. No. I'm obviously- That no, would be foolish to. Yes. I'm obviously, as you know, a huge animation nerd and studied animation and i i love the look of this film where are you on it you you think it's a good looking flick oh it's it's like it's one thing to just be different and interesting um but it works so well with the story yeah in this film it's i don't, I, you'd, I for me i'd have to go back some way to find an animated film that i that i saw and was just wowed by what i was seeing yeah um Because now, I mean, animation, it's like special effects now. We're so used to seeing amazing things that we've ceased to be amazed by it. Yes. Yep. Um, Then this film comes along and really just knocks you back in your seat with, firstly, I mean, just how good the animation is. It is just awesome. And then how inventive a lot of the elements within the animation are. Like, you know, I mean, the rendering of people in the film is- is fantastic. It's like just the right amount of realistic without being so close to people that it's weird that they're not people. It yeah. kind of treads that line really well. Yeah. But then it also, you know, adds in, you know, those elements, the kind of comic book looking, yes, elements. Yeah. Which, you, I mean, you can imagine a world where that doesn't work at all. It's like, oh, you're trying too hard. Yeah. Um, and. They fucking nail it in this film. Yep, it is completely unique, and it, as you say, it works so well with hand in hand with the storytelling, and things like you know, even the onomatopoeia, like the the splashing up of words like bam and crash, and you know that kind of thing has been toyed with before. It's never worked this well before, for sure, because it 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 really, really is a part of the storytelling here. It's it's more than just an effect. And it just works so well. The blending of different techniques that they've done here. Like, as you say, the rendering, it's it's almost cell shaded but not quite. There is more depth there than that. And then what they've done is, after they've rendered the 3D, they've gone over and hand-drawn elements over the top. It's the blending of the 2D and the 3D that composites so well together. Everything is its just, it's almost mind-boggling. Like, you think about the work that would have gone into this and the the different kind of skills that are needed. And it's no wonder that this had a huge crew. I think when they did concepts, I think they started with about six to 10 animators and by the end they had over 170 <laughs> and it's not surprising because you do, you need 2d animators and 3d animators. You need really, really great compositors who can work with those two mediums together hand in hand and just what they've ended up with is so so beautiful, and it, um, they've there's you know there's such great choices in there with like the specific color palette of the film, mm. um, kind of gives it an an identity of its own. The the things that are the like when I think of traditional filmmaking and I'm thinking about like camera and lighting choices, mm. and those choices are really evident in this film. The you know, in quotation marks, lighting of the film. Yeah. Is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, it really is. The way that they mould people's faces in different environments to to work with what the lighting would be is, is stunning. And even, like, I can think of one moment where um, Miles it runs up some stairs and out onto a, a rooftop. Yeah. And he bursts out into daylight, and there's actually that moment where Everything's overexposed until the yes. <laughs> kind of quote unquote aperture dials back to what it would need to be for yep. daylight. Um, it's awesome. And just the the again, quote unquote, camera movement in the film is so good. It's right at this tipping point of I mean, going back to to what you can do with a virtual camera with a with a live action comic book film, and sometimes I certainly think directors go too far with okay, you can do anything with the camera, Mm. so let's do anything. And I'm like, yeah, but it just looks fucking silly. Yeah. In an animated film, obviously you can do anything you want to do. Yeah. And there is a bunch of really cool movement. And then but there's a lot of it that is also just grounded in, okay, if we were shooting this scene, Mm. what would be the best way to shoot it? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of there's a lot of movement in the film that really, I think, adheres to what's best not What's most? Yes. The way it kind of reinvents and toys with the idea of what is a camera in this space? You know, you think of kind of like a comic book panel and the view you get from that. The way it toys with blending that with a camera, like you brought up aperture before. And you think about depth of field. The way that this film chooses to do that, where instead of blurring, what you get is the kind of cross-printed look. Where... You know, the background will double up maybe in a slightly different colour, like what happens when a printing press goes slightly wrong. Like, that as a choice is so smart. (laughs) And, you know, you talk about how good the animation in this film is. Think about this sentence for a second and how smart it is that in a cartoon film, you can look at a character like Spider-Ham and go, well, that's a cartoon character. <laughs> like, the way that it's able to differentiate between the different styles all blended together, you know, with him being completely flat without shading, even in, as you're talking about the lighting, really lit environments, he never gets shadow on him. <laughs> like, a choice like that, it's really, really smart filmmaking. Yeah, watching it watching it a second time, I was just like, and this is coming from someone like, I'm not a, a comic book reader, but... I was thinking that if I was I imagine that this is exactly the film I want. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. Um and has in it like just truly one of the greatest shots in an animated film I've ever seen. That that leap off the building. Yeah. At the end where with the inverted skyline oh, is just yes. Like I think we said this at the time when we were talking about um the nominations. Uh, for the Oscars that year. And the, I, I, I stand by this, that I think that this is probably, for me, certainly in the five best directed films of that year and should have got a nomination. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because even things like the, what it, what it's able to do in scenes like where he's, um I was going to say taped to his chair, he's not, he's webbed to his chair. Yeah. And can't talk when his dad comes by oh. to tell him about his uncle. Yeah, and the pool of shadows like, spilling out from under the door. Just yeah, It's such an effective scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, As a kind of non-animation nerd yourself, did you notice any of the really subtle choices? Like, for example, I, I don't know if you know about like the frame rate on the film. No, it was pointed out to me by, again, by the patron who requested this, that for a lot of the film... Miles is animated at 12 frames a second instead of the usual 24. Okay. What I picked up, actually, I don't think it's just Miles. I actually think the film itself. I think there are certain scenes where Miles might be the only character in, in 12. But I think that this film actually fully switches between 12 and 24. I'm certain that the opening scene um, where the real... In quotation, Spider-Man is telling his origin story. I'm pretty sure that entire segment is in 24. And then after that, I noticed that the vast majority of the film, I think, was fully in 12. And to me, that really does... A, it's like, you know when you watch the Lego movie, and that, I think, is even less than 12. That, to me, looks like 10 or so, and that's clearly to give that stop-motion look. Mm-hmm. What I noticed from the 12 is that it, do, it gives it that more kind of jittery. It almost looks like if you were to flick through a comic book and, you know, the pages are flicking, that's the kind of look that I got from it, which I thought was really, really smart. But yeah, there, there may be scenes where it is just Miles in, in 12, but um, I thought it was a really cool decision. I'd, I'd be interested to know how many things there are in the film that I haven't noticed um, and that there's just no way with my knowledge of – whether it be comic books or anything else that there's just that I'm just not going to get because there was a couple of things this time like there's a point where he where Miles winds up just down on the ground after taking a big fall and he's got Jackie Robinson's 42 around him which I certainly didn't notice the first time yeah, and right. it just made me wonder how much how much is in this film yeah. that is going straight over my head I suspect a lot possibly yeah <laughs> so a bunch of the characters I absolutely love, and think that like the coming together of the various spider peeps is great. Yeah. Having mentioned before, like how how well this film can do emotional scenes, while I don't like dislike the character and it's funny, um, I I, I don't need Spider Ham in this film. Really, I absolutely don't because it. I become way less invested and think like any any possibility that anything bad might happen that there's any risk in this scene or anything for me just vanishes because of the existence of as you've pointed out a blatant cartoon character really yeah I'm not here for it okay I don't And actually Ditto Ditto the robot spider yeah, well, I was just a, I was just going to ask that question. I was going to ask if you feel that way about Spider Ham. Why not the the anime Spider? Yeah, I Um do. yeah, right, okay. I, I mean, I don't feel that at all. I I still feel that as you were saying. One, I think one of the best things the film does is how grounded it can be, and for a comic book film that is, I would say, the most comic book film ever. <laughs> like clearly, the most comic book film. It, I think, it actually does leave you with a sense of quite realism like it's 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 weird to say that in a film that is literally about multiple universes and but yeah i I've, i feel that the character of miles in particular is so grounded and the way that new york is portrayed which has always been that's always been why i've loved marvel over dc is that it's very clearly set in the real world the majority of these heroes are in new york and the way that new york is portrayed in this film is so grounded and real that I feel it kind of grounds everything else together. Yeah, there's there's an argument, for just picking up on your real world thing, I think there's an argument either way there. Like, one is that, yes, it's placed in the real world, so therefore more relatable. I think the counter-argument is that you're watching these fantastical things that clearly do not fit in our world, that it makes sense to go, all right, this is in Metropolis. Mm. Just go with it yeah in right. the same way that if you play something two thousand years into the future you're so far removed from our society that you can kind of do whatever yeah right I don't like i don't I don't think one's right and one's wrong. I think there's cases either side for it interesting I mean I agree I don't think one's right or wrong, but uh, to me I've always preferred the grounding just on a personal level mmm yeah, and for me, the grounding just goes out the window as soon as Spider-Ham is <laughs> fucking on screen. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. And another thing about the film that I don't love is Kingpin. And that's not to say that I couldn't love that villain. Yeah. But I'm, I have no knowledge of, of this character. Right. So I'm just looking at this person who can go toe-to-toe with Spider-Man and, like, literally catch Cars out of the air. Yeah. And I'm like, what the shit is going on here? Yeah. Okay. And the film actually does, it doesn't remotely make me care about his
1: story with, his with family. the
0: family and whatever. Like, I just don't care. And I'm just bewildered by who this person is who can fucking catch cars. Yeah. Kingpin's always been a very strange villain like that because he is human. It, it's which. It, it really, it does differentiate him from, say, you know, you watch Doc Ock, who, as you say I think she's fantastic in this film. my Easily my favorite portrayal of Ock. Um, and it kind of, you don't need the tentacles and stuff explained because it's robotic. You know, or like, for example, the lizard. Like, the lizard isn't human. Like, none of the other Spider-Man villains are really straightforward humans. Like, you think of the Vulture and stuff. It is easier to, um, forgive the lack of realness to them. But -hmm. you're right. Because Kingpin is just established as a man, um, and with a very human backstory, it does become a little bit harder to swallow the fantastical elements of him. Yeah, because, like, and like you said, like, Doc Ock, I think, is great, um, the what's what's the what's the like the baddie name of of Miles's uncle Prowler, Prowler. Like yeah, I think pr- like Prowler's really cool, but then like unfortunately, I think th- the fact that the main villain yeah is the one that I care least about is is an issue for me. Well, and I think part of that boils down to what has always been one of my issues with comic book films, which actually I think has been started to get fixed. Thinking about the last few is too many villains. Like, you think back to the Raimi Spider-Man. For some reason, he seemed to have a rule that, like, each film had to have two villains in it. You know, even thinking about Batman Begins, where you've got both the Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul, and then in the second one, you've got the Joker and Two-Face. There was, like, this unwritten rule that comic book movies had to have two villains. Mm. and Which is weird, like, given that, like, the start of it all is Batman, which was Batman v. the Joker. So it's. It, I've always found it strange that the thing that started it all had one villain. Yeah, but then people just couldn't stick to that. Yes, and and it's become too much. There there are too many to juggle in a film like this, especially when you're trying to keep it grounded. But you know, you've got a certain runtime and three villains to kind of explain. Yeah, I'd- like if you just gave this machine to like the the machine that you know. Blends the dimensions. Yeah, if you just give that machine to Doc Ock as her invention. Yeah, I reckon I like this film more. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Yep, um, and I think that's a problem that has started. Like thinking about the last few Marvel movies, I think they've started to to turn that around where we're back to just the one antagonist. Um, but yeah, I do think that that's been a fairly common problem with these type of films. Um, can we talk score and music? go for it what are your thoughts? Uh, really like the musical choices yep. in the film. It feels appropriate for the style of the film and for the character yeah I give them a, so I give him a total tick for that um, score can't remember it at all. <laughs> fill me in <laughs> that is so tofu. <laughs> I, I really really enjoy the score in this film. It's quite um, electronic based it's it's kind of seems to maybe the reason you don't remember it so much is because it does blend very well with the song choices. Um, like it almost, a lot of it would feel like, um, you know. Soundtrack rather than score. Yes, yeah. And I think that's a really smart choice. Again, I think it just lends to the the grounding of the film. It all feels, this is one of those films for me where the score feels much more character-based, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. the score, I think, is there to really highlight Miles, who he is, what he's going through in the moment, rather than where the story is. And I think that's a really great choice because the story is Miles. I think, as you say, it's an origin story, effectively. So I think that's a really cool decision. And also the the sound design of the film. Oh yeah, um, whether it's with you know the the spider sense tingle or or anything, there's there's great work there that I think if it was if this film is live action, I reckon it gets Oscar nominations for sound. Yeah. All right. So obviously sounds like we're both super positive on it. Uh, How are you scoring it? Yeah, this like if it weren't for the things that bugged me about this film, I could I could well see it being um, even even a nine. Um, But there are things that do bug me about it. I still like I really do like this film. It's a seven out of ten for me. Right. I am a nine. Um, The things that bug you, actually, to me, just kind of add to that. Maybe it's just because I like John Mulaney so much, but I'm totally okay with Spider-Ham. And, I mean, if you're going to accept the big anime robot, and even even noir Spider-Man, who is so clearly not a a possible reality in our universe. I find him hugely relatable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because sometimes you just you burn matches to your fingers just yeah. to feel something. No, miserable <laughs> alcoholic. He's my guy. Um, yeah, no. See, for me, if you're going to swallow all that, then I have absolutely no problem getting on board with with Spider Ham. So, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm a nine. I think that it is one of the most well put together animated films of all time. I think it's written really, really well. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with the sequel and how they're going to handle that. Um, which has been pushed back now due to corona. I think we're getting it 2022 or 2023 at this point. Um, But, yeah, I'll be really curious to see how they handle that because, to me, this totally doesn't need it. Yeah. Do you just go the Green Goblin now and be like, all right, that was a pretty sweet establishing film. Now we can roll in the the main event? I mean, I guess. I guess. And we've established Gwen as his love interest now, so... Do they go down that route of having Green Goblin kill Gwen? I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, this is a different Gwen, and she's obviously herself got powers. So, yeah, I don't, I'm just curious to see where they go here and, and how they how they treat the story. So, I guess we'll see. All right. What are we getting to next week, buddy? No idea. We've got another Patreon request. Do we? We do. We have been asked to check out Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Right. I almost watched that like 2 days ago. Huh. Glad I didn't because I wouldn't have taken <laughs> notes. Have you seen it before? Oh, yeah, a bunch. I never have. I've never seen it. So, right. well, um good film that. <laughs> well, yes, I hear this. So, um I for one am, am glad that it's been demanded of us because it means I'll finally force myself to watch it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we'll be doing next week, I guess. Cool. Cool. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at we Watched a thing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash thing, and we'll catch you next week. Oh, did you hear that grumble? No. Oh, it's definitely there. You'll hear it on the track. <laughs> <laughs> My gut is in agony, like badly. I just had dal for lunch, so oh, I shouldn't have much resistance. Be joining me soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really bad. If I have to, like, stop and run to the toilet halfway through this, that's why. Yeah. Oh shit. Never trust a fart. <laughs> okay. I I think I. Sh- what have you? What do you reckon you've eaten? I think it was the spicy chicken wings I had for dinner last night. I was devastated. My favorite restaurant, I was going to get it for my birthday last night. They changed their opening hours this week to closed on Tuesdays. <laughs> oh. And I was like, you motherfuckers. And so, Noosk was like, oh, well, you know, is there something else you want? And I was like, anything else I get is just going to feel like second best. So, I would rather just get like cheap crap food tonight. And save that for like later. <laughs> so we just got, you know, like takeaway food, just like scallops and chicken wings and stuff. And yeah, my, mm-hmm. my gut is not doing well with it. <laughs> oh, you hate to see it. It's real bad. Oh, anyway, I've been recording Countdown? this whole time. So that'll all that'll be post-credits. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do a count.